Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues our series titled The Marriage Matrix. He'll be reading out of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3, with a message titled Character Recapturing the Image. We're going to be uh, continuing our series, uh, The Marriage Matrix. It's a brand new series. If you weren't here uh, last week, it's just we're two weeks in. This is our second week. It's a five-week series. And inside of your, uh, your bulletin, your program, weekend program, there's a white uh, message note sheet. And if you pull that out, it'll help you follow along. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, get that <laughs> ready to go. And, uh, and then we're going to jump in and have some prayer and then get started. Let's pray together. Uh, thank you <coughs> so much for this time to be together and to study your word and to, to recapture your vision for marriage. We're thankful for what you're doing at our church. We're thankful for what you're doing in our lives. And, and we're thankful right now that we can focus on this uh, kind of most important relationship in life, whether we're single and preparing for marriage or already married, that you'd be preparing us for this. And so uh, I pray you'd be here with us. I pray you'd open our eyes to see new things. I pray that you'd remind us of things that we once knew and have long since forgotten and we need to be and we need to remember. We pray you'd be here with us and be our teacher, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Scott and Shannon, uh, they actually met in college. They, they grew up in their hometown together, but they never met until college. They went off to the same state college, and it wasn't until the end of their college experience they finally uh, met one another. He was a senior, and she was a, a junior. Somehow they'd never met. They'd gone to s- separate high schools in their hometown. But they met that year in a sociology class, and they they noticed each other in the very first day of class. It was a pretty big class, and they were sitting on opposite sides, but, but at one moment in the class, they kind of looked and they kind of locked eyes, and there was just that spark. There was something there, and so it didn't surprise her when uh, three classes later, sure enough, Scott comes and sits down by her and introduces himself, and uh, they hit it off, and, and from the very beginning, it was just sort of magic. They they, uh, they had so much in common, and they both dated a lot in the past, but they'd um, never really experienced a relationship like this. I mean, the chemistry was just strong. And, uh, and so about three weeks into their friendship, he asked her out on the first date, and from there they just took off. And from that moment on, they're pretty much inseparable. And it didn't really matter what they did or where they went. They just wanted to be together. It, just, it wasn't like, you know, they would do different things. They'd go for a walk on the beach. They'd hang out at Starbucks. They'd go to a Saturday afternoon football game at their, uh, their college. But it didn't really matter what they did. It was just being together that they, they loved. They never experienced anything like this. One of the things that marked their relationship was the ability to communicate and share their hearts. From the very beginning, they just found it so easy to talk. And so there were late night long talks and long emails and long phone calls and, and texting. And there was just a whole package. And they just never found, found someone they could connect with so easily. It was really by, by Christmas of that year, even though it had only been three and a half months they were dating, they were already talking about marriage, not because they, they planned on it, but just because they couldn't imagine spending the rest of their lives with anyone else. And so it came as no surprise that June at the end of the school year when he took her out, right, at, after school, after the graduation, he took her up to this high rise, the 14th floor. It was the top floor overlooking the ocean. And during the, uh, at a beautiful dinner and had sunset, and after dinner, the waiter was in on it, and he brought their dessert. It was in this silver, silver-covered, uh, beautiful dish. When he got there and opened it up for him, there was the ring. And Scott went down on one knee, and right there in front of the whole restaurant, he asked her if she would spend the rest of her life with him. She went crazy. 
She was freaking out, and the whole restaurant got in on it. Pretty soon, I was up and cheering and clapping. It was a magical moment. It was a moment they will never forget the rest of their lives. But it was surprising to Scott that sitting there in the courtroom that day, this is the, me- the memory that would come flooding back into his mind. That day, she was on one side of the aisle, and he was on the other, and they're waiting for the judge to come out and to rule on the custody of their children. Today we're continuing the series we started last week, The Marriage Matrix. And if you were here last weekend, we kind of set the stage for this series. Um, We talked about marriage. We said that Jesus was once asked a question in his ministry about marriage. He was once asked um, God's intention for marriage and what he had in mind for it. And, And Jesus said, if you want to understand marriage and God's vision for marriage, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to to the first man, the first woman. You have to go back to the garden. You have to go back to the events that transpired in Genesis 1 through 3. You have to go back to what we're calling the matrix, the source, the situation out of which all marriage flows. And so that's what we're doing in this series. In each of these five weeks, we're going back to some of the key statements, the key events that happened in Genesis 1 through 3 so we can recapture God's vision for marriage and understand what went wrong and what it takes to recapture that vision in our own lives, whether we're single or whether we're married. And as I mentioned last week, if we're married, obviously this series has immediate application to our lives right now, but even if we're not, if we're single, it's in some ways even more important for those of you who are single here, because the most important thing about experiencing God's vision for marriage is to start off with a clear vision of what that looks like, and what kind of person you need to be looking for, and what kind of person you need to become to experience that vision. And so what I'd like to do today, there in your note sheet, it's a section called Back to the Garden, Genesis 1 to 3. And I want to do a quick review of what we learned last week because it's going to set up where we go today. So if you're here last week, we talked about Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And we, in Genesis 1, we notice there's a couple things that God t- taught us about marriage. First of all, and this becomes very important for our lesson today, that, uh, that we were created, the first man, first woman, We're created in the image of God. We were created to be like God. We were like God. We were like God in our character. And that's how we were created. And this was key to making the relationship work. Um, And so we're going to be talking about that more today. Um, We also learned last week in chapter 1 that we were created to rule. The first man, first woman, were the first king and first queen of this new, whole new world. And that, that as their descendants, we are created in our marriage to rule over our part of God's kingdom. We're going to talk about that in week five of this series. Then we moved into chapter two, and we saw a couple things there. We saw that uh, the first man and, uh, and the first woman, the way they were created was different. That the woman was created in a different way than the man. She was taken from the man. We learned this important principle, that from the one came the two, so that the two could come one. And that marriage is at its core about oneness. It's about a shared life. It's about a shared life, body, soul, and spirit. And so we're going to be talking in weeks three and four, the next week and the following week, about oneness, what that looks like in a marriage, uh, what we should be shooting for, how that happens. We also saw that because we were created from one to be two, to come back together as one, that in marriage, that it's our most important human relationship in all of life. 
that if you're married, this is the top priority, the most important relationship. It's more important than your relationship with your parents or your kids or your friends or your coworkers, that it has to be our top priority. That's part of God's vision for this. Then we moved into chapter 3, and we saw that the vision didn't last very long. How long it lasted, we don't know. But it didn't last very long. That at some point, the first man and the first woman chose to rebel against the Creator. And they cut themselves off from the source of all life and all truth and all goodness. And when they did that, the lights went out inside of them, and their character changed. At a core level, they were no longer like God. They no longer shared his image in the same way. And we saw that so not only did they break off their relationship with God, that it impacted immediately their relationship with one another. And this relationship that had only known love and freedom and connection, in that moment they broke off from their creator, suddenly changed. And so all of a sudden, they had uh, fighting and conflict and denial and rationalization and attack, something they'd never experienced before. And so we learned last week that the first step to recapturing God's vision for for a marriage is not to work on the marriage, it's to recapture our relationship with our Creator. We talked about the importance of our vertical relationship until we're under His leadership in our life again what we lost in the garden, then we won't have the power, we won't be plugged into the power source in order to change and make our relationship of marriage what it's supposed to be. So that's the first step. The first step towards re-experiencing God's vision for marriage is to reconnect vertically with our creator. We talked about that last week. Now today, the second step. The second step is to recapture the character of our creator. See, what happened... In the garden is that they became, when they fell and their core character changed, they became just two dysfunctional people. And as we talked about last week, it's impossible to create a functional relationship with two functional people, uh, with two dysfunctional people. And so today, that's our topic. We're going to be asking the question, so how do we go back and recapture the character of our creator that we lost? How do we restore the image of God that we lost in the garden? And fortunately, the New Testament, that talks about that. It talks about it a lot. It turns out that when Jesus came, he came not only to restore our relationship with God by forgiving our sins through his death and resurrection and so on, But he came to change us, as we like to say around here, from the inside out. That Jesus came to restore our character. That Jesus came to remake us so we're like God again so that our relationships can work. Now, there's several passages in the New Testament that teach us very clearly, but we're going to look at one today and two in your life group homework. So the one we're looking at today is in the New Testament in the little book of Colossians. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn there. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 5. So I'm at the doctor, and... Uh, the speech therapist, and she's talking about what do you do, what do you don't do for your voice and all. And I, I happen to mention that I, I suck on these Ricola lozenges like all the time. It's all the time. She says, uh, that's probably not the best thing to be doing. <laughs> oh, great. So, uh, so now I'm supposed to have a bottle of water with me at all times and uh, be taking care of my throat. That's uh, just a little update on my health uh, for free. All right, so... Colossians chapter 3. If you're new here, I promise I don't do this every week. All right, um... Chapter 3, verse 5, 
So um, Paul's writing to a group of Christians, new Christians, new Christ followers in the city of Colossae. Uh, he'd never met these people. Um, Colossae is in what we call modern-day Turkey. And, and so uh, they were brand-new Christ followers. Uh, they had once been uh, alienated from God uh, doing their own thing. They had recently come to Christ. And when that happens, and, and those of you who are, who are Christ followers here today, you know this. You look back at your life, the moment you gave your life to Christ and decided to follow him, a change happened inside of you. Remember that? And uh, it wasn't something programmed. It wasn't someone told you you need to be different. It's just that you were changed, that, that this is what happens when, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we give our life to Christ, he changes our spiritual DNA at a core level, and there's a change that happens. And so they had begun to experience that change process, and now Paul is writing to them to tell them how to continue the change process. And so in, in verse 5, he says, he says, I want you to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So, so the Bible teaches us that when Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, that there was a fundamental, there was a core change that happened in their character. That they changed at a core level. We've talked about that. And so human nature changed at that point. And we, as their spiritual and biological descendants, we inherit that fallen nature. Uh, in the Bible, uh, this, this change, this fundamental change in human nature, we call it, uh, theologically, it's called the fall, the fall of, of mankind. And so we were changed at a core level. And you and I, as descendants of this first man, first woman, we all inherit this fallen nature, this earthly nature. We're no longer like God we're created to be, that we are born to be wild now, that we, we are kind of like the wild child children. You know, and this, this is why, for those of you who have our parents, you've seen this right when your kids are born. I mean, it's like really early on. They, have you ever noticed you don't really need to teach kids to lie? They just figure that out. It just comes naturally. Um, any of you parents here had to teach your children how to disobey? You've, you've just been concerned they're a little too obedient, and it's, you want to be able to bounce, fit in with the other kids? So you kind of take them and say, now this is how to disobey. You know, no, uh, you have to teach them how to fight with their brothers and sisters. Don't let them say that to you. Smack them. You know, like... <laughs> No, no, we, no, we have to teach our kids to be honest all the time, tell the truth. We have to teach them to get along with one another. We have to teach them, you know, to obey. Why? Because we are born a fallen race. We are born with evil desires, a magnetic pull towards things that are wrong. That's how we're born. And so Paul says, uh, and of course, that, that doesn't change in our life until Jesus comes in and begins to take his spiritual DNA through the Holy Spirit, and he takes the DNA of Jesus and puts it into us, and now we have some new desires, and now we have to choose whether to follow the new DNA or the old DNA. And so, so he says in verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Well, like, what are you talking about, Paul? What is this earthly nature look like? How would we recognize it? Well, he gives us some examples. And the first three deal with sexual immorality. He says, well, uh, for example, uh, sex, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Uh, when, when the first man and the first woman were created, remember last week they were created naked and God said, have a good time. 
remember? And so sex is a great thing. It's, a, it's an awesome thing. It's designed to connect one man, one woman for the rest of their life, sort of a spiritual super glue. It's to communicate and to create oneness in a marriage. That's what it's about. But we've taken that, and it's with our fallen nature. Have you ever noticed, I won't ask for a show of hands, but have you ever noticed that you often want to have sexual relations or you're drawn towards people that you shouldn't be having that kind of relationship with? About, you know, it's what, sixth, seventh grade, that starts kicking in. We, we start to have, you know, you, you, we couldn't be married. You, oh, I'm drawn to this other person. It could be uh, uh, just, you know, uh, uh, you know, at a party. Oh, I just want to go, you know, uh, sleep with them. And we, we have these natural desires, you see. Something went wrong with our sexuality. See, sexuality is a great gift, but something went wrong at the fall to where we're no longer content with one man, one woman for a lifetime of love and, and commitment that we naturally, now we tend to gravitate towards multiple encounters, you see? And he says, that's part of the fall. That's part of the fall in nature. All right, so what else? Well, he says, well, um, there's other evil desires. Uh, there's greed. You know, it's a desire to have more stuff and more stuff and rip off people to get our stuff. And, and he says, because, and he says, and actually, that's a form of idolatry. And then he says in verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This planet is under the judgment of God. We're a fallen race. We're under the judgment. And that's why Jesus came to get us off the Titanic. You know, it's like this ship is going down. Let me give you a life raft. I want to get you out of here. I want to remove you from that place of judgment. Okay? And so in verse 7, he says, now you used to walk in these ways. These Colossians, they hadn't grown up in church. These weren't like uh, God-fearing people. These were wild children. They'd been out there doing all this stuff, and they came to Jesus, and he began to change them, just like he's done in many of our lives. He says, so you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, okay, now that you're a follower of Jesus, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these things. Give us some more examples of our fallen earthly nature. So here's some anger, rage, malice, slander. Does it sound like your workplace yet? Uh, filthy language from your lips. He gives us another example. You don't lie to each other. That's part of the old ways. Uh, not being honest with people. That's part of the old ways. He says, because you've taken off this old self, this old person with its practices, and you've put on this new self. You've come to Jesus. You have this new DNA. You've put on this new self. Now, here comes a really interesting part of this. He says, this new self, it's being renewed, catch this, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. You see that? Okay, so let's step back. So here's what he's saying. That one of the reasons Jesus came was to turn back the effects of the fall. We were created in the image of our creator. We've seen that, right? We're created to be like God. We lost that with the disobedience in the garden. Jesus has come to restore the image of the creator He's come to restore the character of the creator in our lives. Jesus has come to make us like God again. And here's what I want you to catch. Without this fundamental change in our character, it is almost impossible to make marriage work. I don't care how many seminars you go to, how many books you read, uh, how many friends you talk to, how many counselors you see. If the end result, and those are all good things, but if the end result is not that there's a fundamental change in our character, you see, we will never be able to make marriage work the way it's intended. Okay? So, there in your note sheet, 
There's a couple implications of this, and there's a couple of principles we're going to spend some time on today. There's a section there called character, the secret of great relationships. So if the first step towards recapturing God's vision is to restore our relationship with the vertical and come under his leadership, that was last week. The second step is to recapture the character of the creator. That's the second step. And we want to flesh that out some. We're going to get at it with these two principles. Here we go. Number one. So what this means, first of all, and I mentioned this last week, but we're going to dig in deep now, is it takes chemistry to start a relationship, but it takes character to make it last. It takes chemistry to start a relationship, it takes character. Now, um, at the start of the day, we, we started with a story of, um, of, of Shannon and Scott. And we, we noted the chemistry in their relationship, right? And so they started with this fantastic chemistry. Eyes catch across the room, meet together, going out all the time. Lives revolve around each other. Can't imagine not being together. They're going to get married. Uh, all makes sense. We, we've, we've been there, done that. We've known that story. Um, you know, I, I do, uh, I, well, a lot of you have experienced that story in your own lives. If you've ever been in a serious dating relationship or you're married, chances are you know that start of that story. The, the details may di- change a little bit, but you, you know that. You have a story like that. That's how relationships start out. That's why people get married. They think it will always be like that. <laughs> you see? <laughs> Moving right along. All right, so, so you know, I've done a lot of weddings. Uh, you know, in, in my past life, uh, before coming to Rocky Peak, I did a lot of weddings. And uh, one of the things that I would do in, uh, when I ever marry a couple is I always say, would you tell me your story? I want to know how you met, how the relationship progressed, what did you like about each other, what drew you to each other, how did he propose, how did you decide to get married? Tell me that story. And then I sit there with a legal pad, and I take 10, 12 pages of notes. I sit back and just listen to him tell the story, and then out of those 10 and 12 pages of notes, I'm going to craft about a five to seven minute little story of their relationship. I'm going to tell so that every wedding's unique, every week wedding's fun. You know, we can all enter into the emotion. And so I've listened to a lot of stories over my life. And can I tell you something? That they're all the same. <laughs> now, now, the details may change. When they met, how long they dated, what their favorite things to do, how he proposed. That'll all change. That'll all be different. But the basic tenor of the story is all the same. It's always a story that, that we met, we we had this chemistry, this connection we'd never been able to share like we shared our hearts with this person that we, we shared before. Uh, it was so natural. There's always stories of, of late night phone calls, long conversations. It uh, doesn't matter what we're doing. We just want to be together. Um, there's a sense of which uh, uh, I can't imagine not living my life with this person and, and how that came about. And, and, uh, and so it's always the same. And the bottom line is that I found my soulmate. Now, now I've, I've listened to this story over and over and over again, right? It's, it's a great story. I love this story. Never get tired of hearing this story. Just a, just a little different nuances, but I love the story. And it's a great stage in a relationship. I call it the rocket blast stage, okay? Have you ever seen those... Um, have you ever seen those, uh, like a rocket launch or a space launch? You know, 
Maybe it's that you saw the first one where they sent the first man into outer space. Or you saw uh, uh, the first time that men went to the moon. Or if you're born later, you saw the shuttle being uh, lifted off. But it's always the same, right? There's this massive spaceship. And you wonder how in the world they can get that in outer space. And so they have the countdown, 10, 9, 8. They get down to, and they say ignition and blast off. And all of a sudden there's this huge blast of energy. A tremendous explosion. You can picture it, can't you? The, the yellow-orange fire coming out, the smoke, and it slowly begins to lift off and get speed. And, and it's very important because in order to uh, overcome the Earth's gravitational forces that hold things down, you have to have a tremendous explosion to get this spaceship off the ground. Now, here's the, here's the point. Relationships are exactly the same way. Uh, the reality is, is that relationships, a serious dating relationship, married, it's not an easy thing to lift off the ground. We wouldn't do it if we were in our right mind. And so, <laughs> and, and so there has to be this tremendous explosion that happens, you know, that lifts it off. Now, the thing is, just like the spaceship, that, that rocket blast is not designed to last forever. It's designed to launch it into orbit. Once it gets into orbit or in outer space, now it just takes small amounts of energy to kind of redirect it or send it on its way. And, and so the rocket blast is not designed to last forever. In the same way, in relationships, the rocket blast was never designed to last forever. It's designed to overcome the relational gravitational forces that hold us down. Uh, like, think about it. Well, you know, if you're going to be in a serious relationship, I think all you college people back here, you're serious, you know what it means. It's like, it's time, it's energy, and if you're the man, it's a lot of money, right? <laughs> now, these are serious objections to the whole concept. And on top of that, you have the fears, right? Fear of rejection, fear of commitment, won't ask for a show of hands, uh, uh, fear uh, fear of, uh, of risk and vulnerability. I mean, it's a hard thing. We would never do it if we were in our right minds. There has to be this explosion, this rocket blast that launches a relationship and gets it going. It's never, but it's not designed to last forever. Okay, so, so what's this mean? Um, well, let's take a look. At, I actually put some quotes here on your, uh, your note sheet. And uh, they're kind of long quotes, but they um, are really powerful and very important for what we're, what we're doing. So uh, let's take a look at them. The first one is by uh, uh, Scott Peck, and he's a, a famous psychologist. He wrote the book Road Less Travel. Probably a lot of you have read that book. And uh, I don't endorse everything that uh, Mr. Peck writes, but this is a great description of this process, this rocket blast stage. Let's follow along. He says, the experience of falling in love is invariably temporary. No matter, now remember, he's a, you know, he's a psychologist, seen a lot of couples, uh, no matter whom we fall in love with, <coughs> we sooner or later will fall out of love if the relationship continues long enough. This is not to say that we invariably cease loving the person with whom we fall in love, but it is to say that that feeling of ecstatic lovingness, that's a great term. You know what I'm talking about? Ecstatic loving. You, you see a couple that they fall in love, and unless you're very close with them, uh, let's be honest, isn't it a little irritating, Right? <laughs> I mean, you've got to put up with this thing. You know, you're just like, oh, that's so sweet. And then they turn around, and you're kind of looking at your friend. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just so sickeningly sweet. And honey, there, oh, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, just let me get that. No, I'll get that. And it's just kind of like, it's just over the top, you know. And, and so you're happy for them, but just could we not be around them? You know, it's just that kind of a, a thing. 
And so, uh, so he says this, this period of ecstatic lovingness that characterizes the experience of falling in love, it always passes. The honeymoon always ends. The bloom of romance, it always fades. And I love this. Or to put it another rather crass way, falling in love is a trick that our genes pull on our otherwise perceptive mind to hoodwink or trap us into marriage. Without this trick, many of us who are happily or unhappily married today would have retreated in wholehearted terror from the realism of the marriage vows. You know what he's saying? Like, no one in their right mind would make these vows, okay? I'm going to love you no matter what happens, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, the rest of my life, no one else, you alone, forsaking all. Are you kidding me? Like, who in their right mind would make that kind of commitment, see? So we have to be out of our minds, and that's where the rocket blast stage helps us. Now, now with C.S. Lewis, now we're on firmer footing now. You know, famous Christian writer, Oxford professor, Chronicles of Narnia fame, he puts it this way. He said, whatever people say, the state of being in love usually does not last. If the old fairy tale ending they lived happily ever after. It's taken to mean, hey, they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably never was nor ever could be true and would be highly undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? What would become of your work, your appetite, your sleep, your friendships? But of course, ceasing to be in love does not need to cease to love. See, it's when we it's when we move into the orbit stage we begin to learn what love is all about, you see. Uh, then one last quote from the parrots. Doctors Leslie and Leslie, you know, they're, they're less and Leslie, they're married, they're Christian, the counselors always cracks me up the parrots, less and Leslie. But anyway, um, they wrote a great book. If you're single, you need to read this book if you want to get married, called Saving Your, uh, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Excellent read. And uh, so here, here we go. They say some experts believe the half-life of romantic love is about three months, after which you have only half the feelings you started out with. Others believe romantic love stays at a peak for two or three years before starting to fade. But whichever theory is correct, you can be sure that the enchantment of romance will begin to fade eventually. It's an illusion that the romance in the beginning of a relationship will last forever. Now, this may be hard to swallow. It was for us. But debunking the myth of eternal romance will do more than just about anything to help you build a lifelong and happy marriage. Okay, so, so you see what they're saying. So what happens? You meet someone. There's rock of blessed. There's tremendous chemistry. You, can't, you just want to be together. They're the secret to your fulfillment in life. You want to always feel like this. You're overwhelmed with the joy. You know, the, the sky is blue or the grass is greener. Where have been the birds all those years? They're just all over the place. Wherever I, it's an amazing time, and you want that experience to laugh. And so it's, so it's, it's natural that you say, hey, we want to be together forever. And so we make this decision to get married. And then all of a sudden we get married, and at some point the rocket blast begins to go away, and we begin to move into the orbit phase. And now you wake up one day, and you find out who you're really married to, what you got. And it's at this point, (laughs) some of you are weeping, some of you are laughing. (laughs) Okay, so it's at this phase, it's at this phase that now character becomes critical. You see, it took chemistry to start the relationship, but it takes character to make it last. 
Now you say, well, Mike, what kind of character? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3. Paul's going to tell us, what does it look like to restore the character of the creator in our life? We left off in chapter 3 and verse 10. Let's pick it up there. Chapter 3, verse 10 Paul says, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So it's a new self that Jesus is changing us into. It, we're becoming like the creator again. Well, what does that look like? First, look at verse 12. It's therefore, as God's chosen people, so now that we're followers of Jesus, we've become part of his chosen family, and we're holy, in other words, we're, we're, we're no longer separated from God, we're now reconciled with God, and we're dearly loved he says, I want you to clothe yourself, and he begins to give us the character of the creator here. This is what the creator looks like. This is what we lost at the garden. He said, I want you to clothe yourselves, put on some new clothes, try on a new outfit. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with uh, gentleness, with patience. He says, I-, I want you to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have. A big part of being like the creator is having the capacity to forgive and let go of the past. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be like Jesus. Be like the creator. And verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. So he says, okay, so this is it. He says, God is out to recreate the character of the creator. This is what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. And catch this, this is what we have to recapture in our life if we want to move back to the garden and experience God's plan for our marriages or for a serious dating relationship. So, so what does that mean? Well, like if you're single. So those of you who are single here today, let me talk to you for a second. I promised you in this series I was looking out for you. And uh, every week I'm writing and preparing these messages. I have you in my mind. Uh, and, and I know where you sit. I know where you live. And I know the hard thing about being single. And I know how difficult it is. But here's what it means for you. If you're single and you want to someday experience God's plan of marriage. Now, if you don't care, if you, you don't want to experience God's plan, you want to do it on your own, well then, okay, ignore this. But if you want to experience God's vision for marriage, what it means is, number one, that when you're dating someone, you need to always check their character first. You don't go into a dating relationship without researching a person's character. Who are they? Who who are the core values of this person's life? And the reason is, uh, I have a saying that once you lose your heart, you lose your mind. Okay? Once you fall in love, your ability to discern goes out the window, right? The rocket blast stage is so powerful that once you fall in love, it becomes very difficult to remain objective about a person's character. So it's really important on the front side, you don't date someone that you don't think that they have the kind of character you're looking for. Extremely important. What it also means is that, uh, you know, some, I used to use an illustration like this. We, you know, the, the power of romantic love is one of the most powerful emotions of the human race. 
And this is why you look at someone and you say, now how did they get into that affair? They knew better. They should have. What we don't understand is the power of that emotion. I used to say it's like once you start falling in love with someone, if it's a bad relationship, you need to be out of it. It's almost like a spider when you flush the toilet. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to climb out. They can't get out. All week, and that's the best you could come up with. <laughs> but you think of that the next time you flash a spider. You're going to remember this lesson. Okay, so if you're single here, I'm telling you, it is too late to figure out a person's character once you fall in love. You need to be know what you're looking for ahead of time. And, and secondly, if you're single, what this means for you is that you need to become the person, like the person that you want to marry. And you see a top priority, you need to become the person of character now that you want. And I'll tell you why. Because like attracts like. You know, sometimes when I'm working with single adults, I'll do this, I'll take a board out, and I'll say, okay, so what would you be your ideal person? What would be the kind of person, you know, in terms of their character that you would like to marry? Because you give me a list, and I'll start writing it down. They'll start saying, okay, okay, so, so integrity, yeah, integrity, and, and loyalty, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and they're, they're a hard worker, and they're responsible, and they're, all these things, great. And I get down with the list, and then I ask a question. Why would a person like that want to marry you? Whoa, good question, right? Because a person like that is going to want to marry a person like that because like attracts like. So the first step towards marrying a person like that is you have to become a person like that because like attracts like. Birds of a feather flock together. We tend to marry at the level of our dysfunction. Think about that one. <laughs> the dysfunction may look different, <laughs> but it's a true story. All right. Now, what does it mean if you're married today? You're, you're married. You're already married, and you're in a relationship. What does this principle mean? It takes chemistry to start. Well, you, you've already experienced the chemistry part. Chances are you, you've been there, done that. You know, you, you got the button. You, you understand, you've, you can look back and say, yes, I remember that rock and roll stage. Okay, so here's the thing. If you want to experience God's plan for your marriage, God's recapture the vision, here's, this is the most important thing I'm going to say. It's all about the character. And that's why many times we'll go to Christian counseling, we'll read books, we'll uh, uh, talk to friends, we'll get advice. But if the character doesn't change, we're barking up the wrong tree. Because it's impossible for two dysfunctional people to create a functional marriage. If we don't recapture the character of the creator, we don't have what it takes to do relationship. Does this make sense? Yeah, okay. Let's go on to the second principle. Oh, I have one more thing to say to your singles. I'm not done with you yet. Okay, I, I forgot this. Let me, let me throw this in. Uh, let me give you, we talk about, okay, dating the right people. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, the passage we just looked at, let's look at that verse again. Give me an example of how this works. He um, says in 3.9 that one of the things we should look for in someone is it says, do not lie to each other. In other words, that one of the key ingredients you need to be looking for is someone who is a truth teller. Um, that, that is a person that will not lie, will not deceive, will not manipulate. 
okay, that they, they're not going to manipulate. They're going to be a truth teller. Um, if you were to ask me, so Mike, okay, let's boil it all down, these character qualities. We looked at several there in Colossians chapter 3, but boil it all down for me. What do you think are like two of the most important character qualities in a marriage? And those of you who are, are married right now, you can listen into this, even though it's for singles, because you might want to catch on to this too. But the two most important character qualities, I would say, are truth and love, right? Two most important characters. Are, are, is this a person who tells the truth and is well, straight with you even when under pressure, even when it costs him something? You know, in preparation for this message, I was going through my files and I came across a, a book by uh, John um, Townsend and Henry Cloud. It's a great book. If you're single and ever want to get married, it should be required reading. It's called uh, Boundaries and Dating, okay? Cloud and Townsend. And, uh, and they talk in there about the importance of truth-telling in a relationship. And they use a story. They talk about when they, were, they had an instructor one time, of course, they're counselors, and he was telling, talking about the relationship a counselor has with a, the counselee. And, he was, and, and this person was saying the, how important truth is, truth-telling is, in that relationship. And so um, they, they, they quoted this guy, and they said, you know, this, this principle is equally true in dating and marriage, the importance of truth to a relationship. And I want to read this to you. You don't have this quote because this was a late ad, Saturday afternoon ad. All right. It was in on Tuesday, out on Thursday, back on Saturday. Here we go. So they said, uh, as soon as there's any kind of deception in a relationship, stop everything. If you're trying to help someone and he's lying to you in some way, remember they're talking about the counseling relationship, there is no relationship. The whole thing is a farce. And you should not go any further in trying to help that person in this counseling relationship until you settle the issue of deception. Now catch this. There are no other issues at that point except that one. Think of it in your marriage or a dating relationship. Either fix that or end the relationship. And they put this in the next line in italics. When there is deception, there is no relationship. Truthfulness is everything. While essential in the counseling relationship, honesty is also the bedrock of dating and marriage as well. Okay? So, so truth and love, two of the key things. Now, <laughs> let's go on to the second principle. The second one goes like this. I won't spend much less time on this. It goes like this. Relationships are one of God's greatest laboratories for growth. Relationships, and I'm talking here about romantic relationships, uh, dating, uh, marriage, that, that they're one of God's greatest laboratories for growth. In other words, let's say you came to me and you said, okay, Mike, I get it. Um, so, so we lost the image of God in the garden. That's why our relationships don't work. And uh, we need to recapture the character of the creator. I, I'm with you 100%. You've convinced me. I can see it in the word. It's clear. Now, how do I go about recapturing the image? How do I go about recapturing? Here's what I tell you. One of the best ways is to be in relationship. One of the best laboratories to learn how to grow in character is in a serious dating relationship or in marriage, especially in marriage. And the reason is that marriage, faster than any other relationship in life, will reveal your character for what it is. It will test your character. It will reveal your character. 
And if you're open to learn, it will spotlight, here are the areas you need to grow and recapture the character of your creator. And then it creates an environment where you get to practice that new character, where you can take off the old, you can put on the new. You see, marriage is an environment, it's a laboratory where you can try out this new wardrobe. You know, Paul said, clothe yourself. You can try out this new wardrobe. You go, what would it be like to really love another person and put their needs and interests above myself? Let's try that one on. What would it be like to move past my anger to be able to have conflict without anger? What would that be like? What would it be like to, to learn not to be so selfish and to put someone else's needs above my own? What would it be like to try in some gentleness or compassion? You see, marriage is the perfect environment for us to grow. And we, we often separate this out in Christian circles. What we'll do is we'll talk about in these series of messages, like the message in the movement, about following Jesus and becoming like Jesus. And that's our number one calling. And then we'll have a marriage series and we'll just talk about, here's five keys to improve your marriage. What we don't realize is that in God's economy, these are the same thing. That we become like, if you want to become like Jesus and you're married, there is no better place to grow and to learn than your marriage. It's the perfect place if you're open to learn. Your marriage will tell you where you need to grow, what character elements need to change, and will give you a a perfect opportunity to practice dying to the old and putting on the new. I mentioned last week that there's a, a book that I, I really recommend. It's that book, Sacred Marriage, by Gary Thomas. And one of the statements he makes in that, in fact, the whole book is really revolves around this statement, is he asks a great question. He asks a question, he says, what if God created marriage not to make us happy, but to make us holy? Isn't that a great question? Oh, what if God created marriage not just to make us happy, obviously it's a great gift for for happiness, but what if he created marriage not just to make us happy, what if he created marriage to give us an environment of growth, a, a relationship that would reveal our weaknesses, point out the character faults, and a place we could practice changing? Right? What, what if your marriage is not about your fulfillment, it's about your freedom from the old life? What if your marriage is not just about happiness, it's about holiness? What if that were true? I think he's totally on the mark. And here's what else. Once you grab a hold of this, it totally changes the way you look at your marriage. Typically, we look at our marriage and say, is it making me happy? Oh, but everything changes when you say, no, we're two followers of Jesus here. Our goal in life is to become like Jesus, and together he's put us in this relationship that's going to reveal our character weaknesses so that we can help each other grow in these areas, and we are going to partner together to become like Jesus and to recapture the character of our creator together. You see, and then your marriage takes on a whole new purpose, a whole new form. So the question is for you, if you're single today, are you looking for someone to make you happy in your life or are you looking for someone you can make happy? If you're married today, the question is, are you looking for someone who will, who your, your, to your spouse to bring you fulfillment 
Or are you looking to your marriage as a place you can both grow towards freedom as your character changes? These are great questions. And so Genesis, the matrix of marriage, it comes to us and tells us two incredible lessons. Number one, that the first step towards recapturing God's vision for your marriage, it's not working on your marriage. It's working on your relationship, the vertical with the Creator. And then quickly follows up and says, lesson number two is that if you want to experience the, God's vision for marriage, you have to recapture the character of your Creator. Now, I want to ask you to do something. As we wrap this thing up, I'd ask you to close your eyes. We're going to turn down the lights. And I want to, to ask you to use your imagination for just a second. I want you to picture a couple. It's a couple. They're not perfect by any means. And uh, they've, they've had a lot of struggles in their marriage, but, but the last few years, they've really, they've really decided to pursue Jesus and to restore their individual relationship with the vertical, and, and, they, and they've decided to pursue the character of the Creator, and so they're learning and they're changing. And so, so the husband, for example, I want you to picture this husband. He once had a hard time listening to his wife talk about her day. Uh, he was very impatient. He had a hard time taking her life seriously. He had the serious things in his life and his job and so on. And, and, but now he's been changing, and, and there's a new gentleness in him. There's a new kindness in him. There's a new patience in him. And, and he's recapturing the character of the Creator, and so now he listens to his wife, and he takes her issues seriously. And, and he's recapturing the character, and he's learning to put aside anger. And so where once he'd have outbursts of anger, now they're able to disagree, and, and they're being able to talk about things and talk things through. Now I want you to picture the wife. And she's a woman that, that used to be a little harsh with him, very impatient, but, but now she's a woman who reaches out regularly with random acts of kindness, and she's become very supportive of him and, and, and the challenges in his life. And together, they've both grown the last few years in humility. They, they've learned to put each other's needs first. They, they've learned that when they make a mistake, to say they're sorry quickly and they've learned that when they hurt one another, to let go of that hurt and to move on and let the past be the past. And they've learned most of all to cover it all with love, this, this dogged commitment to seek one, one another's best interests, not just occasionally, but as the rule, the way they do life. And so, so it's not perfect, but they are grown seriously in recapturing the character of their Creator. And now while you're picturing that couple, I want to ask you a second question. Here's the question. Can you picture that couple sitting on different sides of the courtroom like Scott and Shannon were at the beginning of the day waiting for the judge to come out and to issue his decision about custody rights? Chances are you say, no, I can't. And you'd be right. And the reason is their relationship is working. Their relationship is growing. It's getting better. As they recapture the character of the creator, they're getting closer. It's working better. And couples like that don't end up in that place. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to ask you today, if you're a single adult, are you ready to recapture the character of your creator? Are you ready to move past relationships based on chemistry alone and put a new criteria in your life? There has to be chemistry, but there has to be character as well. And are you committing yourself 
not just to look for the right person, but to become the right person. And if you're married today, the question for you is, are you ready to stop looking for quick fixes for your marriage and to make a commitment to recapture the character of the creator in your life and to be honest with yourself? And when your marriage reveals areas of character deficiency, that you're not going to be like Adam and Eve and rationalize that away or defend it or blame the other, but you're going to begin to own that and you're going to begin to seek God and ask for him to teach you how to die to the old and become the new. Lord, we come today as your church here and we, we ask you to teach us how to recapture the character of you as our creator. God, we've learned today that it's the secret of great relationships. And so, Lord, we pray that beyond the books, beyond the counseling, beyond the, all the things that are so important, essential parts of the process, that beyond all that, we would make a commitment today to recapture your, your character so that our relationships can work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, from the inside out, our soul cries out. We're going to live for you. And God, today, we just want to come before you as a congregation. We want to present our singleness. We want to present our marriages to you. God, I know that in a congregation this size, I know that there are marriages that are hurting right now. There are marriages that have, have given up hope. They're not sure it can work. They, so long ago, the garden, so long ago, the story of how they met and fell in love, and all they can remember now is the pain, and they're in a place where it almost seems unbearable. It's hard for them to hope. God, you know that last night as I was praying up here for the congregation, how you brought back to my mind that picture of that one couple in my office a year ago at the end of the road, it looked like after many, many years of marriage, it was just so far gone, impossible to resurrect. And yet, God, I, I see that couple now. Walking through this campus hand in hand, you've done a miracle. You've resurrected it. And it happened, Lord, because exactly what we've been talking about, they did, they began to seek you and restore the relationship with the vertical, come under your leadership, under your lordship. And, and then they began to seek you and to be open to recreate, to recapture the character of the creator, and they've changed. And, and now what once looked so dead and impossible has now come back to life. The plant that looked dead has sprung back to life. And God, I know there are many that are probably here like that today that are placed in so much pain. It's almost impossible to believe in the resurrection. But God, I pray that you'd speak to them today and remind them that you absolutely are the God of the resurrection. That the same Jesus who died and rose again can rise again in their marriage if they will but connect with the vertical and and then allow you to put a spotlight on the character and they begin to put off the old and put on the new. 
And so, Lord, we pray for those marriages. We pray for those single adults here. They're in so much pain, God. They so have longed to be married for so long, and just the right person hasn't come along. It's so tempting to give in and to just go with the chemistry and to ignore the character, and yet their life is a recurring cycle of pain, of relationships, one bad one after another. And God, their challenge today is to trust you, to trust the Creator, and to wait for the character and to become a person of character. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in this congregation right here, right now, that are trying so desperately to trust you. Would you help them? Would you come alongside? And God, would the, you make this church, the church at Rocky Peak, may it be a place of healing for marriages. May it be a place that becomes known for, for men and women who've learned to get on track and go back to the garden. We pray for that, Jesus. We know that's an essential part of our following you, that we do our relationships well. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace. Most of all, Lord, we pray that we would be a church that has changed from the inside out, recapturing your character, becoming like you again, so we can do life as it was designed to be lived. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord be with you this week. May experience the work of His Spirit in your lives, the DNA of Jesus expressing itself in your life. May experience His presence on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. May this be a week that throughout the week you pull aside to seek the Creator and to, to talk with Him and to share your life with Him and maybe to process some of these things we've talked about together. May this be a week that you turn off the TV several times and you pull out your Bible and you spend time with the Creator re reconnecting. May this be a week the experience the presence of Jesus in your life in new and fresh ways. And may you experience him changing you from the inside out, recreating his character. And then I hope you can join us next weekend as we continue this series and we begin to talk about the oneness that God had in mind, body, soul, and spirit. What does that look like? How do we get there? How do we recapture the vision of oneness that's at the core of what marriage is about? God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Thank mm -hmm. you.